Hey everyone, it's Adam Farkas. Today we're going to do something a little bit different from our usual ODYR radio show. Our friends at Hoya have sent us a copy of a roundtable that they held with PPG at this past AOA meeting in San Diego. Uh, we all know that kids have different eyewear needs than adults, and the topic of this roundtable was how to engage parents to promote pediatric vision. The panel consisted of several clinicians with decades of experience treating kids, and they talk about factors to consider when recommending eyeglasses and the differences in how parents and kids react when you make eyewear recommendations. They also talk about issues of compliance and how to help patients understand the link between eye health and overall health and the role of vision in classroom performance and behavior. So enjoy the piece and leave any feedback that you might have for the panelists in the discussion thread on ODWire. Well, first off, I want to say um, on behalf of Hoya and PPG, we thank you for coming out today. Uh, Hoya Vision Care and PPG are strongly committed to children's vision and promoting um, healthy eyesight for children. Um, we strongly want to help promote our eye care professionals and help parents understand the benefits to having healthy um, vision care for their children. Today, uh, we're going to get started with a moderated discussion, and then we'll open it up for some Q&A at the end um, and take questions from, from the audience. Today's moderator is Dr. Anne-Marie Lahr. Uh, Dr. Lahr earned her degree from Ohio State, where she went into private practice for several years. And then she also was professor at PCO for 18 years, where she earned several awards. And um, she was actually one of the only professors that earned uh, three aw teaching awards while being a professor at PCO. Uh, Dr. Lahr currently is serving as Hoya's uh, Director of Education. And um, let's get started. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. I don't need this, do I? Am I on? Ah, oh, there we go. Thanks, Heather, for that introduction. Um, I'm so excited to be here to um, moderate this discussion among our panelists. And I'm also interested to hear what's on the minds of uh, the people in our audience as well. I've had the opportunity to chat with our panelists a bit uh, leading up to this, and I'm so impressed by their passion for their patients, especially kids. Um, I'd like to, uh, for each of the panelists to introduce themselves, and let's start with you, Dr. Harris. Tell us uh, where you're located and, and how you interact with children. Uh, I'm Paul Harris. I'm a professor, associate professor at Southern College of Optometry. I came from 30 years of uh, private practice in Baltimore, Maryland, and I, I love working with kids. I teach uh, several courses in pediatrics and vision therapy and love working in the clinic with the kids. I'm Dr. Glenn Steele. I'm a professor of uh, pediatric optometry at Southern College of Optometry. Um, my background is through the Gazelle Institute of Child Development. I did a fellowship there some 40 years ago and um, um, was just really a turning point in my life and in, in being able to take care of, of children and young kids. I'm currently also chair of AOA's Infancy Program. And I'm Dr. Elizabeth Christensen, and I'm the local here today, practice in San Diego area for 30 years. Um, the first five years I was on uh, staff at SCCO, um, the Vision Therapy Clinic, and um, I do have a, a broad family practice, but do specialize in, in children's vision and vision therapy. Hello, my name is Dr. Greg Hicks. I'm <laughs> in group practice in Northern Ohio. Uh, we have a three-location practice along with my partner, Dr. Heather Demos, 
And uh, I'm also uh, on faculty at The Ohio State University. My practice in, has been an emphasis in, in pediatrics and children's vision. This last six years, I have also had the honor of serving as the uh, Director of Professional Affairs for Hoya Vision Care. Very good, thank you, panelists. Okay, to set the stage for our discussions, let's review uh, some facts. Uh, we all know that uh, to promote children's health, we have to engage the parents. The parents are the gatekeepers in this, and that is their role. They decide whether a patient, or whether their child needs an eye exam, whether they should have one, and how often they should have an eye exam. They also decide you know, what lens attributes and frames they should select, you know, for particularly whether they should get decisions on uh, whether they should get uh, eye protection with regard to UV, what type of material they should have. And um, they also just tell the parent, they also influence how the child cares for the glasses. So all these uh, things, you know, they influence their attitudes and the habits that are gonna last a lifetime. Um, let's, let's look at some of the lens attributes uh, considerations. This is a study, um, and parents were asked, What's the most important, they asked, what most, what's the most important thing to you when deciding on lens materials uh, for your child's eyeglasses? Now, 50% of them said that a combination of attributes, um, clearest vision, thinness, lightweight, impact resistance, and UV were most important. Now, thir just 13% says the lens that offers the best vision. 16% uh, cited impact resistance and durability as one of the attributes that they were looking for. And 15% said price. Now, they were also asked, how important is it to you that your child's eyeglasses are made with the most advanced lens technology? And 75% want the most advanced lens technology. And they were also asked, how important is it to you that your vision insurance covers the most advanced uh, technology for your child's eyeglasses? And 86% said it was very important that the vision insurance was to cover the advanced lens technologies. Uh, I'd like to ask the panel, what factors do you as an OD consider when recommending eyewear for young patients? Well, one of the things, um, there are several things that I look at in, in eyewear themselves. One of the critical things to me is uh, safety. Uh, I want a frame that um, keeps its adjustment so children are putting on and taking off and putting on and leaving. And I really like uh, spring hinges as a feature, a, a, a well-constructed frame with, um, with the spring hinges. I also really want a lens that performs well. Clarity of sight is really a critical thing that I look at. I want uh, protection from that lens, and I want a lens that has a good Abbey value. That's really critical to me, that when they look at the edges, the white on black edges, that they're not seeing a rainbow effect at that point. And uh, uh, specific types of lens materials to me are really critical in that. I, I think that uh, a thing that really is critical is weight. Um, working with a lot of young kids, we have many times higher prescriptions, right. and we can have the best ideas and the best reasons whatsoever for um, a parent to choose a lens, but if the child doesn't wear it, whatever goes into that, uh, that um, decision really is not even, it's a moot point at that point in time. So it's having the materials to be able to get them to wear them. That to me is a light frame. Obviously, it has to have the strength and the, and the stability, but a light frame and, a, and, and lenses have to be very lightweight. And in, in addition to all of that, I always start recommending the best products um, to the patient and um, feel that you know the Trivex lens is the best lens for kids. So we always start with there in a, in a well-fitting, sturdy frame. I think we have to remember that um, 
if, if we don't take the time in the exam room or in our eyewear galleries to talk to the parent about what are the qualities to look for in, uh, in lens design, lens material, uh, in their eyes, it's just a, that lens is just a commodity product. Right. Unless we take the time to talk about what's different about the lenses that come out of our, our eyewear galleries or that we want on that child, uh, a lens is a lens is a lens in that parent's, in that parent's eyes. So if they don't uh, have that information, if no one takes the time to explain the differences of lenses out there, then the parent's gonna just take their, their biases based off of price and, sure. and, and insurance. So um, what influences do you guys, uh, do you doctors have in terms of making recommendations for a child's eyewear? For instance, do you go with the child's preferences or the parent's preferences? Do you follow the AOA recommendations? What influences do you follow? I think it has to be a combination of both. Okay. Um, it, it, and I, I have seen some very interesting um, parental choices, <laughs> and I know they were parental choices, uh, bright blue frame on a, a young boy. <laughs> Um, but, but it was a parental choice. I have no idea what the child thought about that other than he didn't seem to wear his glasses. And so I think it has to be both, but I've seen it the other way where the parent totally left it up to the child and that didn't work either. I think it's really important also to involve both for the, for the same reasons that um, if you don't have the buy-in from the child, they're not going to wear their glasses. Right. And, and we all know how kids are so influenced by other kids. Mm -hmm. So one, one bad word about what they chose and they won't wear them. So. What reactions do you think that uh, parents and children have now when they're first diagnosed? Uh, at, with myopia or hyperopia, and they have to get their first pair of glasses. Um, are they more accepting than they have been in the past? And what do you think those influences might be, if so? Well, I think there's always a, a mix with that. You get the ones that are like, um, and, and you never can quite know to expect uh, uh, which are which. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you get the ones that are like, oh, great. And it's like, oh, I didn't expect that from you. And then you get the ones that are like, oh. Um, but if you get the one that's a little more difficult, I think we, we take the time, we explain why the glasses are, are there, what they're for, what the benefits are, how it's gonna change what they're doing, uh, the kinds of things they do. And if it's a, a child who's more interested in sports, then we'll make, make an analogy or we'll share with them how that's gonna help them in sports. If it's a child that's a little bit of a bookworm, we're gonna help them get the idea of being able to look at one distance and back to another distance and, and perform properly in there and not, not have to strain to see and not miss what's going on. And, and, and it used to be that either glasses were prescribed, and it still is to a certain point. In a parent's mind, you can see or you can't see. If you can see, you don't need glasses. If you can't see, then you do. Well, I think we're getting beyond that now because there's a lot of, of information that's coming out that says school readiness begins at birth. And if school readiness begins at birth, parents are already thinking about what can I do to give my child an advantage beginning at birth? And if it's helping the, if, if, if it's projected in the future to help them in the classroom, then the parent now is on your side rather than against you right. in, in making that decision. I agree. It, it um, all comes down to taking a good history and finding out if the child is struggling in school 
or just finding out um, what they do, uh, what their hobbies are, and then equating why you're prescribing for their lifestyle. So, and we do the same with adults, and sometimes we need to think, you know, this child deserves us to make that connection as to why we're prescribing. And, and I, think, I think kids are, are much, in my opinion, uh, much, much more accepting of glasses these days. They're looking forward to it. And then like Dr. Harris said, every once in a while, a little tear trickles down. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was going to be the sensitive one. But they usually come around when you tell them, it doesn't mean you have to wear these for the rest of your life. And they do pretty well. Well, this whole panel's been in practice for 30 years or yeah. more. And, um, I do think, though, 30 years ago, there were more children that were devastated yes, when you yeah. talked to them about they needed glasses. Whereas now, I think I have run into the situation where more are devastated if they there don't so get their eyes. Um, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but, but certainly, would you guys agree? I Absolutely. see a slant that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the other very interesting parental reaction that uh, always kind of is a gut check for me is when, when, the, when a parent actually says, thank God, somebody found something because they're, they're relieved that uh, why has this child been struggling in the classroom or struggling with performance? They knew something was going on, but uh, so that's always kind of a heartwarming yeah. experience. Okay, excellent. What steps should be taken um, to protect the child's vision from the effects of uh, UV light and also from the effects of their extracurricular activities and how do you incorporate that into your presentation to the parents and to the children? I think it's you. For instance, yeah. I'll um, start. Do they need, oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to prod you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, first of all, uh, uh, I just, I talk in the exam room about Phoenix Trivex with, with every parent. I just, I just believe that's what should be on every child. Um, I no longer have polycarbonate on my price list. It's, 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 it's all Trivex in my office. Um, and then I spend actually some time talking about why. It's a, it's a lighter product, it's better optics, um, it's safer. Um, but, but then I turn it also to not just the UV protection, but I talk to about a, a lens protection package with that lens. Because uh, now, uh, with, with the lens treatments that we have available, uh, you know, we, there's probably more problems with, with keeping their frames together and not falling apart. You know, it used to be there were so many scratches with lenses and kids would beat their lenses up, but with lens treatments and, and, uh, and, and lens treatment packages for scratch resistance and UV resistance and smudge resistance, uh, lenses, if you get a good quality lens, they're pretty tough and the parents appreciate that. And in addition to that, um, I just um, also recommend um, different styles of glasses for different needs. Um, we want to put the kids in the protective lens, uh, frames for sports um, and make sure that they, um, you've at least um, prescribed several different types of lenses and made those recommendations. Um, and uh, I think that helps protect the children. I think there's one other thing too is, 30 years ago, when, whenever we all started in practice. Um, I think that- You were more than that. <laughs> the, almost. The, I, I think that the doctors had more hands-on in, in making those decisions. And now with electronic health records, 
there's so much entry into the 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 um, the computer, and then you pass it off to somebody who may even then pass it off to somebody else, and you have to make sure that message doesn't get watered down and it stays consistent all the way through. Well, Dr. Steele brings up a, a really important point, and that's getting compliance with the use of the lenses. And I always felt that, um, uh, and even till before I made the move to being at an optometry school, but I, I'm still with patients in the clinics at the school, I, I always felt it was on my shoulders to explain how these lenses are to be used, what they're for, why they're supposed to use them, uh, and, and in what circumstances, how they're going to protect them, and that type of thing. And, and you say it there, you say it back in the dispensary, uh, when they pick them up, uh, a little back and forth, how are you supposed to use these again? Uh, and, and, and make sure, have them echo that back to you. Um, oh, you're supposed to wear them all the time. Are you going to wear them when you wash your face? And you know, just the, no, 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 not when I wash my face. You're going to wear them when you when you sleep at night? No, 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 no. Oh, you don't want to see your dreams clear? No. Anyway, um, <laughs> but just to try back and forth and have them really get a sense of how they're supposed to use these, how they're going to protect them, how it's going to help them to see better to perform with with all these different types of things. I, I do have some um, some paper in the in the office, and and I hand a parent an instruction sheet at the end of every visit, every patient, every visit. It takes me 15 seconds to go down and check. But one section is, how do you wear your glasses? And, and those things are checked, whether it's all day long, whether it's um, classroom. So the parent can take it home and post it on the refrigerator just like they post everything else. And now it's not them making that issue. It, it's, they come back to me. What about, is anybody doing anything to protect, you know, all our kids are now issued uh, iPads in school? and they're doing so much they're learning from backlit digital devices. Is anybody doing anything to protect or to prevent eye strain from, digital, uh, from the use of digital devices? I would think most of us are, uh, in particular with this panel, and I would hope the profession, recognizing that often the lens that we're prescribing for distance is absolutely not the most appropriate lens for near. Sure. And uh, finding the appropriate uh, addition lens prescribing either a bifocal or a progressive, or different lenses to be used for different purposes. Uh, a lens just for in the classroom, and then one that maybe uh, has a higher seg or a, a larger area specifically for working on these uh, iPads or Kindles or uh, even a larger computer monitor and that type of thing. I think it's absolutely critical in terms of not just uh, its best performance, um, best reading speed, best comprehension, uh, helping our students be the best students they can be, at the same time protecting them from getting worse and worse in their refractive conditions. Sure. Well, you know, Dr. Lau, we're actually living in this experiment right now. Uh, what we, we, we have kids working on uh, flat panels on a, on a desktop. We got them working on a tablet. But we see tons of them with their iPods or their smartphones up closer yep. than they've ever held, held things before. And at the same time, uh, the experiment about what's happening with, with the blue light that's coming from those, those, these, these digital devices. Uh, kids now are exposed to so much more blue light, and they're, they're on these devices. You know, when I would read, or if I'm reading in a book, you know, at least when I turn the page, I sometimes look up and look around. 
you know, they get on this device and the next thing you know, they've been locked on this thing for an hour, an hour and a half, I mean, with intensity, you know, not casual, casual <laughs> passive reading. So uh, it's, it's, it's a whole new world of visual demands and, and there, are, uh, there are lenses now, uh, Hoya's Sync lens, Hoya's TAC lens, and other manufacturers have uh, uh, lenses specifically for the, for the, for the digital devices. I think that's the big challenge too for us because I do agree it is an experiment and, it, and they're not adults and they can't complain, they don't know to complain, they, all they know is you, this is really small so I have to hold it really close and they have the ability to accommodate so they can see but they don't know that it's not supposed to hurt or you know that there isn't a, a normal for that. So it's a challenge for us I think as optometrists to, mm -hmm. to try to figure out you know exactly where we test them and what we do and what we prescribe and how we protect and um, so it, it's the future for us I think. Mm -hmm. You know, gone are the days of just writing a prescription with a sphere cylinder axis and maybe a little ad. We now have to talk about lens design, really ask how are how is this child being uh, using their eyes? It used to be we just kind of assumed they worked with a book or on a, you know, on a desk at school and we really got to ask what what is the what is the usage of the eyes? And, and especially some of the, um, the the new graduates that are coming out who are not yet presbyopic who have no clue about the, the, the presbyo, and this takes it out of the, the, the right. kids part of it. But in, in effect, it is a part of the kids' things because whenever they measure a bifocal, it's not at all unusual for a patient to come back and the maximum part of the lens is right down here at the eye wire or, or out. And you see people reading like that. Well, right. now think that about that for kids. And, and kids are not going to do that. Mm -mm. They're going to do that, and now you've lost, your, um, uh, lost the effect of however yeah. good your lens prescription may have been. You've lost that effect. Right, because they're not going to use it as they're you prescribe it. They're not going to use it. Exactly. So, you know, this digital world is kind of changing the way we prescribe Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, recent re uh, research confirms several areas where eye care professionals could play <coughs> a greater role uh, in uh, patient education, particularly in uh, basic practice, uh, for basic care practices for their eyewear. Um, Eyeglasses can be a substantial investment, and habits about you know how well you care for them start young. So this is interesting. Um, these are uh, parental observations. Um, they were asked, in your opinion, does your child understand the importance of taking proper care of his eyeglasses? Well, 78% said yes, but despite 78% of the respondents saying yes, um, the majority of parents have noticed issues uh, suggesting the opposite, as you can imagine. So let's ask the panel, what is the most common problem that you see with, patient, uh, with ch children caring for their eyeglasses? <laughs> uh, one, not keeping them clean, I think, is a, is a big one. If you don't keep them clean, it doesn't matter how well we do our examination, how exactly we write a prescription, how exact the thing is fabricated and put in there. If they're not clean, um, no. Uh, second would be uh, uh, when they put them down, putting them in a case, or putting, so they're not all scratched. Now, so many of our nice materials resist these things now, so I, I think we're, we're better, uh, we're in a much better situation than we were uh, back then. Um, and then it's the adjustment of the frames. Uh, uh, you see these frames all tilted and, and twisted, and it's like that can't possibly be performing. And well, we look at the induced prism in there right. uh, and what's happening to the binocular system. Um, um, use of two eyes, visual concentration, and know that that has to be affecting what's happening. And the, to, to me, the, the, the most common thing is the glasses made it to the bottom of the backpack. 
and, and a soft case in the bottom of the backpack, and that leads to all the kinds of things that, that, that Paul was talking about. I think a lot of the parents said yes because they felt it was their responsibility, and so they said they thought, well, I did tell them. But um, I think kids really, um, they don't assume responsibility for washing their hands, they don't <laughs> brush their teeth. I mean, and I think glasses really just need to be as part of that, you know, you get up in the morning, this is what you do, and, and you know, I get my little spray bottle and I clean them all up for the day and get them all ready to go. And, and parents are just assuming, I think, that, that their kids would, would do those things and, and naturally, you know, not until they're older, so. I, when I get a, you know, a youngster gets glasses, I kind of do, it's one time that I really kind of corn dog it a little bit. And I get yeah, down with them. Um, just every once in a while. I get down with them, you know, at their level in the eye chair, and I say, you know, we're going to get some glasses, and, and we're going to talk about a couple things. And I have this one-on-one. -on -one. I don't talk to the parent here. I'm talking with the child, and I, I say, now, when you take your glasses on and off, this is one of the rules. You need to take them on and off with both hands. Not just, not just one hand. And, and when we take our glasses off, you know, when things go wrong with our glasses, it's usually cause we sat them down in a stupid place. So if you take, <laughs> when they're not on your face, okay, they belong in the case. And I have them say it back to me. And they all giggle, you know. <laughs> and, but uh, we, 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 we talk about it's very important. You take care of your glasses. You know, always know what they are. And then I turn to mom or dad and I say, and I think it's a good thing if those glasses are, all, if they're taken off, are always put at the same place in the house, okay. whether it's yes. bedstand or nightstand or, or wherever it is. But it's always, they, when they come off, they go in the case, they go to the same place. And we do we try to make sure that kids get hard cases, not just soft exactly. cases and go in the same place at school if they're just mm -hmm. glasses that wear close work when they go outside, always go in the same place. So that. Well, let's see how the experience of our panelists compares with those surveyed. Um, when asked, have you, uh, how ha have you ever noticed your child doing any of the following, or have you had any of the following problems with your child's eyeglasses? Choose all that apply. And interestingly, all those apply to me, and I'm not a child. 66% uh, <laughs> responded that their child drops their eyeglasses. 55% says they take their eyeglasses off with one hand, so they're not listening to Dr. Hicks's instructions. They wipe their eyeglasses with a shirt, t-shirt, uh, tissue, towel, fingers, etc. 55%. And 54% say that uh, they do not use their eyeglass cases, cases when not wearing them. Um, now, another interesting aspect of this study is they were asked, when your child received his or her eyeglasses, how satisfied were you with the amount of education your eye care professional provided to your child on the proper way to care for the eyeglasses? Well, only 41% said very satisfied. So then more than 50% tell us that we could do a better job of helping our, uh, helping our child patients understand how to best care for their glasses and how to use their glasses. So with that said, I'd like to ask the panelists, what do you find to be the most effective way to present eye care, uh, eye, to wear, I'm sorry, to present the eyewear care instructions to your patients, uh, their children, and also to their parents? How do you best address that? One of the things that we always do is um, at the um, dispensing is um, give a bag with a kit, uh, with spray, with a cloth, with some candy, some things to, and, and we use the same when they're not on your face, they need to be in your case. So um, I think that right then and there is a really, really good time and presenting everything and sitting down and making sure you're, you're talking to them at that, at, uh, at 
face-to-face -face level. And, um, and then we always schedule a follow-up appointment in two weeks. Um, I like to check all first-time children prescriptions, make sure I did it right, um, they did it right, and, um, and then we can check up on them and see how they're doing. I think that follow-up is really important. I always try it about two weeks later. It's just thing it's about that time, but the two weeks later, make a phone call to the family and just, just ask, how are things going? Um, so I didn't necessarily bring them in and get a chance to look at the fit, but made a call and just asked and find, find out what, what's happening with this. We, we actually, we, I did have a practice too, and we, we would bring them back in and, and we made it four weeks rather than two weeks. Okay. But, but I, I think you get a good idea from the parents of whether or not that is taking place. Right. Uh, I have them come, particularly this, the, the, uh, the higher prescriptions at uh, that, that one month check, which is what we do. Um, that's an excellent time now that they see the difference that this is making in the child. As I also talk about, you know, if something happens to these glasses, um, your child's going to be in a, in a, in a bind. And, and developmentally, we need, we need these lenses on them. So that's the time when we, we often talk about a, a backup pair. Right. And then this particular question here, I, I think it's really important to have education for your dispensing staff because if you don't, if your staff hadn't really bought into what your recommendations are, then, then it's, it's not going to be as effective. Sure. And, and parents will forget sometimes what we say once they get in, they get into the process of selection. So the staff has to be on the same page. That's an excellent point. It, 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 it should be a given, but it's not always a given. Even with us, I'm talking talking us, not just them. Right. Well, you know, and it's, and it's a, an overwhelming day for yeah. a parent sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, wow, my child needs these glasses. Sometimes they feel guilty about this. And, and then the moment you've started talking about glasses, they almost like tune, I think sometimes tune out everything else you say. So. Um, at the visit that they return for the eyewear delivery to, to reemphasize everything just because they may not have even heard it the first time. Right. Yeah, that's why I think it, when you say it at the end of the exam, that's often when I found we would get that kind of sort of shutdown. So that's why I was reiterated again at the dispense. Right. One of the things I really like to do too, particularly for a first time bifocal wearer, um, we would bring them back into the vision therapy room and give them a task to do that had a, a distance demand and a near demand and a, a point system and you know look at the letter hit the button look at the letter hit the button do it as quickly as you can for 30 seconds oh you got a score see if you can beat that score see if you can beat that score and they would walk away from there totally knowing how to use that new multifocal lens I did that with my adult patients as well. Again, I know we're concentrating on, <laughs> on, on kids today, but I would do that with the adults as well, bring them back into the vision therapy room, and in five minutes of doing this, because all they cared about was the score, right? Yeah. I, I have to see. So they would find the sweet spot of the lens, I must see to get the score. And, and it, was, it was just a fantastic thing to do, and it really helped them know how to use the lenses. Many of them walked out of the office then and, and they were already making those little adjustments up and down and could figure out exactly how to use those lenses best. So you've all mentioned how somewhere between two to four weeks you bring them back and let, you know, to make sure that the prescription is, is working well for that patient or for that child. 
Uh, do any of you offer uh, like periodic checkups like every six months or so to make sure that the glasses are fitting properly, that they're being cared for properly, and that they're still in proper adjustment? In general. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. In general, what I what I I sort of ran my office with this concept of periodic preventive maintenance checkups. So a patient always left my office with the next appointment made. Uh, people would ask me, "Do you have a recall system?" And I was like, "No," because they just always have their next appointment right. made. So in looking at the development of certain visual conditions, visual stress, asthenopia, et cetera, et cetera, the six-month time frame is a pretty typical critical time frame to look at. So any new prescription, any new eyewear kind of thing like that, or a change in prescription, I would see them at that six-month point. But it was primarily not so much to make sure the eyewear was all OK, although that was done, but to see, is this prescription still performing the way it should be? Is this the optimal lens in terms of development and where things are headed? And we always invite uh, the children to come into the eyewear gallery anytime to have their glasses adjusted because um, they do get very bumped around and um, it's detrimental to the little bones of the nose and behind the ears they're still forming and you, you really need to um, to make sure the glasses are always in adjustment so anytime they can come in and when making those adjustments mm -hmm. i would always make a sort of a big flare kind of thing of the proper tool and holding it and then i would go Absolutely. don't do this at home <laughs> <laughs> On that same checklist, we would have down at the bottom, when is your next appointment? Yeah. And go ahead and fill that in. So when it goes on the refrigerator, how to wear them, it's always a reminder to the parent to be sure that next appointment is there. So let's talk about the uh, role of um, the optometrist in overall, overall health and well-being. As we know, overall uh, eye health and overall health are, sorry, <laughs> are intrinsically related. And uh, many overall health issues can impact eye health, and having health and healthy vision can impact your overall health for a lifetime. How do you establish the importance of regular eye exams for children? I, I, I think the, the guidelines that we start with uh, are important. And, and all of us may have different times and different things that we want to see. Um, when we want to see the patient. But I look as a minimum once a year, every sure. year. And if you start them early on that process, then you're much more likely to have them continue and participate in that process than if you say once every two years or once every four years or whatever. I think it's, parents do better if it's a regular part of that process. And I think um, what we were talking about in the beginning with um, children not knowing what the normal is, um, I really emphasize to the parents that you need to bring them in because they're not going to be complaining. You can't wait until they tell you they can't see. Because they don't know they, they can't don't, see. Um, and if they wait until they you know, have to walk up to the television or something, then you know, there's things we could have done before. So we really emphasize prevention and, um, and the fact that kids don't know what normal is, right. so get them um, also pre-scheduled. I think all of us are uh, pre-scheduling our patients as opposed to waiting for them to make their appointment. Right. Families in, in my office continually hear me say how important it is to have a lifetime commitment 
to comprehensive eye care. That's exactly how I word it. They've, 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 they hear, they've heard me say that again and again and again. But with, and with, when there's a child in the exam room with parents, I'll use that line again, how important it is for your family to have a lifetime commitment to ongoing comprehensive eye care. But remember, your child's visual performance this year in school may be completely different than next year because your child grows, visual demands change, workload gets higher, stress loads change. So the, the visual world can be completely different for them next year in school than it is this year in school. Teachers change. Teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Easy yeah. teacher this year, hard teacher next year. I mean, um, one thing I'd like to comment on, I think we've all heard this, oh, my insurance only pays every two years, so I can't come to you. And I think but you hear that, and, and it, it just used to get the hairs in the back of my neck up. And the way I sort of uh, have been dealing with that is basically saying, isn't it wonderful that once every two years you have someone help you with um, uh, the reimbursement for this, but for proper visual care, we need to be seeing you on a once a year basis. And that's, I think that's a culture we have to change. Yes. Because, because they think about going to the dentist every six months and feel guilty if they don't. Sure. And, and, and yet they are, the dentists are rarely on insurance plans. And, and it's, it's a culture we have to cultivate yeah. and, and help grow. And not just that culture is, uh, I get such a kick out of how, how many parents I talk to and say, when was the last time your child had their eye exam? And they say, well, they get an eye exam in school every right. year, don't they? Yeah. 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 I mean, it really, the screening and, and, and the perception in, in too many young families' minds is that that's an eye exam. Yeah, I agree. That's something that, that we have to change as a culture. And the, the ADA has done a great job of stressing, everybody knows you have to get a, a dental exam every six months. but. We, we do need to continue to stress that every year for a child is the right, uh, the right time to have an eye exam. So with that said, how important is the role of vision in classroom performance and behavior? <laughs> Look who you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, Extremely. Yes. Uh, Arnold Gazelle, the famous pediatrician, said, to understand the child, one must understand the nature of the child's vision. To understand the child's vision one must understand the child. Vision development is child development viewed optometrically. They're one and the same. So when we're looking at a child, we're looking at their visual process, we're looking at who that child is, the whole person. And it's really critical. And I, I in my mind, I cannot separate them at all. In, in this whole process of, of of school readiness begins at birth. Um, I, I think parents are, are somewhat more open to um, having, um, it, it, we're changing that culture of, of early exams, but I think they're more open to any opportunity that gives their child an advantage because they're, they recognize that what should I say? I didn't even have kindergarten whenever I started the school. <laughs> now, if you're not reading when you come out of kindergarten, you're in trouble. You're, you're not just a little behind. You're in trouble. And, and so they look for those advantages that they can give their kids. And I think even at the other end of the spectrum, I'm seeing more and more high school students who are, the parents will say, she's a straight A student. 
But then I find out they're doing two to three hours of homework yeah. to, to achieve that and the amount of stress that they're going through and how hard they're working when there's optometric intervention that can make that a lot easier. And um, so, you know, I, I, I agree, it's ready, if we could get those child, those children in early, then they wouldn't get to high school and have those problems. Right. Um, but even, even now, parents are much more readily um, asking for help. Um, the, I feel sorry for the kids, you know, applying to college these days because it's so competitive. And they really are, a lot of these high schoolers are working really hard. So we can help them. You always have to watch throwing statistics out because they get challenged. But, um, you know, it's, <laughs> we hear as many as one in, one in four in the classroom could be uh, facing some sort of a visual hurdle that's not letting them at least perform at their peak performance. One that I think is even sadder is that as many as 50% of the children in this country are graduating from high school and still never had an eye exam. It wow. just blows right. me away. Right. So that's all we have today for the panel discussion, unless anybody in the audience has any questions for our panel. All right. Uh, do you feel that it Get that so yeah. it's on audio. Yeah, let's. Could you ask the question again, please? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you did it so well. Do you think it would have a great impact if um, you all discussed with parents that vision can be genetic as a way to get their children tested earlier for eye exams? Cassie, I don't know if that would work because a lot of my um, parents they'll say oh, I didn't have to get glasses till I went to law school, or I didn't have to yes. get glasses until, oh, this age. And so they think, well, I was okay. Because I think what they experienced, um, you know, was um, they think that's the normal. Whereas now, you know, there are, are preventive things that we can do if we get them in early. And, um, and so even though, you know, we, there is a genetic component, um, I still think that there's, um, and, and I do think with some patients, yes, you know, that would be good, but I, I, I also feel that um, sometimes they, they might kind of turn it around and put it in reverse. One place it does work, though, mm -hmm. is if you got little Johnny in the chair and he's got a crossed eye or he's got a significant <laughs> oh, yeah. prescription or he has anything, you say, does little Johnny have Absolutely. a brother, a sister? Um, we better take a look at them because yes. we yeah. will see these yes. things in families. Uh, Absolutely. You'll see moms lights on then. right and and I, I think that's the culture we have to change that mm -hmm. that that um, Elizabeth was talking about if, if we don't change that culture and let the parents know that there are other reasons than genetic for kids having glasses and needing glasses and for glasses being effective for them then they're only going to compare it to what they went through and, and as I said, I didn't have kindergarten, play was first grade, we didn't even start reading until second grade. <laughs> and, and now you're, you, you're, you're in trouble if you're not reading when you come out of kindergarten. So the, even just the, the parents of the young kids today, that culture has, um, changed. has, yeah. has changed. Yeah, and it's great to emphasize to those, to those parents who might compare their circumstance to their children's circumstance to remind them how our world has changed and the kids are using digital devices and, and, and have a far greater demand on uh, their vision. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? It seems from some of your responses that you're move, 
move a bit away from our traditional ideas of uh, vision defects and uh, using lenses to correct those and thinking about lenses more as tools to be used in a wide variety of environments. Can you make some comments on those? I would agree 100%. I, I talk about our lenses as tools to help us perform certain tasks to do those jobs maximally efficiently. I talked about lenses that may help make that near-far switch uh, to help focus our attention. Lenses that are specifically used in the classroom to help with, with reading and, and reading efficiency to decrease the visual stress. One of the things we look at instead of, um, uh, again, on the genetic idea that, oh, changes in terms of myopia are genetically programmed and they're just going to get worse, I think we look at that how we prescribe today has something to do with where things are headed down the road. And that we, we have a role, optometry has a significant role in guiding the future development of our children. And a huge piece of that is how we prescribe those lenses. Um, so we have a lot at our fingertips in terms of, of using these lenses for various different purposes and guiding the development in different directions. I would agree with that. I, I basically start my prescribing at near because that's where the, the heavy demands are. And, and that's almost opposite of, of traditional kinds of thinking. Um, but if, if kids are, if their demand is so significant at near um, and they can't handle it, then I do have tools to be able to allow them to, to manage that situation much more effectively. And then if, if that interferes at far, then that's when we start talking about a dual focus or a bifocal type lens. And I think approaching each child as an individual and not just a blanket, this is what I do for all children at NEAR. You know, looking at their situation and how their eyes posture is really important. And, and the other thing um, uh, brought to mind was um, getting those kids in and the ones who do have some genetics going on and getting them into CRT or some other form of orthokeratology or something to uh, retard the progression of myopia is something that's um, very rewarding to me. I speak to many parents about their child's eyes still being very plastic. They're still moldable and we can do so much to influence how that visual system is going to continue to develop. And uh, that, that referring to it as a plastic, you'll, you'll I'll see the parent's head bob up and down, and they'll get that. Unless there are any, any other questions, I'd just like to thank you all for attending, and especially to thank our, our distinguished panel of experts uh, for the interaction. It was uh, very fun. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. And thanks again to Hoya for sponsoring today's show. If you want to get any more information about Hoya's products, you can visit them on the web at hoyavision.com.